whether you are here in person or online via our live stream. And I want to encourage you to just take one moment to uh, get your digital to device and record your attendance either way. Go to our Watch Live page and uh, record your attendance if you're here in person or if you're online. We'd love to have a record of that. So please take a moment to do that. Tonight we continue our study uh, of Got Questions is what we are calling it. In this series of studies, we are trying to investigate some of the most frequently asked questions, we have, theological questions, we have received as ministers. Uh, for the first week, we simply investigated whether or not it was appropriate to ask questions, and we kind of dealt with the subject of doubt. Last Sunday, we focused on the reliability of Scripture. We were focused on where we get the answers to our questions, and in that study of of Scripture, we were ex examining how we can trust the Scriptures that we have. Tonight, we're going to turn our attention to the subject of pain and suffering. But before we dive into that study, we're going to uh, go to God in prayer, and Jay Hall is going to lead us in that prayer. Okay, let us pray. Dear Father, we humbly approach your throne, and we thank you for an evening like this. We're blessed, Lord, that we get to meet together in person tonight and online, and we're thankful for the crowd that has gathered in both avenues. Lord, it's just a blessing to be together with our brothers and sisters in, in, uh, in either way, and that we get to study your word, Lord, as a body. Lord, I ask you to, to, to bless this study. Let it be one, Lord, where all the wisdom that is, that is spoken tonight will be straight from your word. Lord, all the uh, truth will be coming straight from you. Lord, help uh, myself and the other ministers up here. Lord, let us say things that will only uh, bring clarity and uh, guidance into, the, into your wisdom, into the scriptures, Lord, that you've given us. Lord, we feel honored that we get to, to be able to approach this discussion. We know that it's, it's uh, dear to your heart, Lord, and as it's affected all of us. Lord, thank you again for being our Father. There is pain and suffering in this world, but we do have a Father that we get to go to, and we get to lift up our prayers of comfort and prayers of need to you, and we just want to reflect on that first and foremost tonight, that we have you, and Lord, that you take care of us like a, like a good Father does, and so we're privileged to be called a part of your family. For all this, your Son's name, amen. 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 One of the greatest philosophical challenges to Christianity is the existence of suffering and evil in the world. We experience it when there are natural disasters. We experience it when there are diseases. We experience it when there are um, atrocities caused by mankind. And when you really think about all the evil and suffering that exists in the world, sometimes it's hard to believe that there is a good, loving God who is in control. In fact, it is that very dynamic that caused Epicurus, who was a philosopher from about 341 B.C. to 270 B.C., before Christ, to come up with what's known as the Epicurean Paradox. In the Epicurean Paradox, there are four options for understanding the relationship between God and evil. He says that either God wants to eliminate evil but cannot, or God can eliminate evil, but does not want to. Or God neither wants to nor can eliminate evil. Or God both wants to and can eliminate evil. But here's the problem. If he wants to eliminate evil, but cannot, then he is weak and therefore not actually a God. If he can eliminate evil, but does not want to, then he is spiteful and therefore unfit to be a God. If he is both willing, uh, excuse me, both unwilling and unable to eliminate evil, then he is both spiteful and weak and therefore not a god. And if he is both willing and able to eliminate evil, then why does evil continue to exist? I'm certain that at some point in time, many of us have battled with the existence of evil and the presence of God. Tonight we want to dive into this subject and we want to, to investigate why there is pain and suffering in this life. And so we're going to start by posing this question. Why is there pain and suffering in the world, generically speaking? Guys, what do you think? You know, Kyle, we look at this question and we obviously understand why it is a question that we get so often. And that's because we see so much pain, so much suffering going on in the world today. Uh, it's been going on for thousands of years since the Garden of Eden. And so many people have been driven to ask the question, why 
would a loving God, why would a benevolent God, why would a good God allow such pain and suffering, especially among His children? Why would a good God do that if, in fact, He is all-powerful? If He is, in fact, all-powerful, then why can't He rid uh, the world full of pain and suffering? But as we get into the discussion, I think it's important for us to establish what that all-powerful God's original intent was for us. When we look at the original intent, intent, intent that God had for the world, what was it? It was paradise. When we go back to Genesis chapter 2 and we look at the description of what the Garden of Eden was like before sin was introduced into the world, before the fall of man, it says that they were living in paradise, they were eating from the tree of life, they were, uh, had all the precious stones all around them, they had rivers coming in and God prepared a garden for them and they were naked and not ashamed and everything was perfect. In fact, there was no pain, there was no suffering, there was no illnesses, there was no sin, there was no death. Everything was perfect. Mankind was able to even walk side by side with God, the Creator of the world. Mankind was able to talk to God, the Creator of the universe, face to face. Just like we're talking to each other tonight, Face to face, they were able to be in the presence of God. And why was that? Sin had not been introduced yet. They had not fallen into out of grace with God. They were able to talk and have perfect communion with Him. They were able to engage with Him just as we do in the foyer tonight afterwards. Can you imagine a world like that? What a perfect place it was. God's original intent for the world was for us to be in this perfect communion with Him. To be in total fellowship with Him. And so when we understand that pain and suffering was not how it was originally, I think we have to understand that that is what God's eternal goal and eternal purpose was for us. To have this world of paradise, to have this communion and fellowship with Him, and we see Him throughout the rest of the entire Bible and throughout the rest of time trying to reestablish that perfect communion. Trying everything He can to make it to accomplish this eternal purpose that He established in the garden to bring us back to a point of perfect communion again. That's what the entire Bible is. In Genesis chapter 3, when man fell, it says God God gives them what's going to be their punishment, what's going to be the result of this, the consequence of this. But right there at the beginning, he had his eternal plan through Jesus Christ on how Christ was going to crush the head of Satan. And Satan was going to bruise his heel. Genesis 3 verse 15. So before we get into why is there pain and suffering in the world, it's important for us to understand that yes, there is pain and suffering, but that was not God's original intent for us. So something had to happen. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Do you want to explain what happened? Oh, okay. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Um, yeah. Originally, the sin came into the world. I mean... As sin came into the world, the world uh, became a, a place which uh, gives man suffering and pain because God cursed the world because of the sin, because the man who sinned, uh, Genesis chapter uh, 1 verse uh, 17, the world was cursed by God because of the sin. So then uh, the world gives us the pain and suffering. And also, uh, one other thing uh, we need to think about is that, you know, God also put enmity between us and Satan because of the sin. Uh, Genesis chapter 
3, verse uh, 15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. So Satan is our enemy, and we have enemy always around us, and he entices us and he makes us fall, and we have pain and suffer, and God allows it. And uh, to utilize it for us, and we'll talk about it, why the suffering and pain happen in our life, and God has, God uses uh, the Satan uh, for us. So that's what we have pain and suffering in the world, it generically. I think it's important for us to note something about the character of God. That, that God, God is not the source of evil. Think about James chapter 1 with me for just a moment. In verse 13 of James chapter 1, James says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. I, I think the point James is trying to make is that all temptation comes from a source other than God. God does not tempt anyone, but but James doesn't stop there. James says God cannot be tempted by evil, meaning that God has that God has no association with that which is evil. In fact, James can make that assertion because of something that we find in Psalm chapter 5 and verse 4. Back in Psalm chapter 5 and verse 4, we're told that uh, or David writes you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. And, and so when we combine what we read in Psalm chapter 5 and verse 4 as well as James 1.13, we have a depiction of God as one who is, who is not the source of evil, not the source of temptation. And then James chapter 1 and verse 17 explains to us what God is the source of. In James 1.17, James says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So James contends that God cannot be tempted or cause temptation because of his inherent goodness and because of the fact that that quality of his never changes. So if you journey through the book of Psalms, you will read over and over again descriptions of God as good. That is a favorite descriptor of God throughout the book of Psalms. But nowhere is God's goodness better explained than by His Son. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 18, as well as Luke chapter 18 and verse 19, these parallel passages, Jesus said, No one is good except God alone. That's kind of like saying God is love in 1 John chapter 4. He's saying, hey, he's the standard. He's the epitome of goodness. And so one thing we need to acknowledge on the front end is that when it comes to pain and evil, it, it has a beginning, which uh, Ben and Mingu have been talking about, which is man's choice to sin. But God is not the source of our pain and suffering. God is good, and he's always good and will always be good. Yes, God does indeed allow suffering to exist because there, are, you, there is usefulness in it from his perspective, which we will talk about more in just a moment. But God is never the source of our pain and suffering. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're all kind of saying the same thing here as we get this, this discussion going, is that at the beginning of the world, God did not intend for there to be pain and suffering. And there was not pain and suffering in the beginning because we see in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31 that when he's done it, he says, and it was very good. He would not describe his creation as very good if at that moment pain and suffering was already happening. And so I think the same thing we're all trying to say here, an expression of God's love that he, he did give at, in creation was free will. God does not stand above his creation as a puppeteer or someone who's calling all the shots. He didn't make us serve him in a slavish manner or anything like that. He says, out of my love for my creation, I will give them free will. And then based on that gift of free will, man made the mistake. Man brought the pain and suffering in through sin. 
And I think that kind of brings up a few different categories of pain and suffering. Sometimes we, we, there's pain and suffering in the world. Well, maybe this is the second one. Maybe I'm getting, maybe I'm getting too much in the second, uh, into the second topic here. Sometimes we suffer because of our, own, of our own fault. We'll get to that in the second one. Sometimes we suffer because of other people. And we'll get to that in a moment. But another one I'd like to bring up in, to this one is sometimes we see the pain and suffering in the world that is brought on by God's creation. I think about hurricanes. I think about tornadoes. I grew up in Alabama. I think about once a month we had the tornado drills. I, I, I'll never forget April 27, 2011, where there was 300 in one day. Sometimes when I was growing up, I said, okay, I understand there's pain and suffering because man failed, but why is God's creation turning his back on me? Why is God's creation hurling these insults at me? And why is God's creation threatening my life in this way? And I think for that, we see another fall accountable for this. In Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, we see the fall of man bringing in the suffering because we messed up the free will. We had the option to sin or not to sin, and we sinned, and we brought in that corruption. We brought in that pain and suffering based on that. But also, another mistake that was made, based on more people making more bad mistakes, I think about Genesis chapter 6, when it says, and the waters from the deep broke out. I'm not going to try to go down the scientific route here too much, because I, I don't think I'd sound that smart. But what I can do, and we can, look, we can look this up, we can look to reputable resources, that a massive flood, like we have in the account of Genesis chapter 6, radically changed the creation that God and man is living in, that man is living in Genesis chapter 2. And so because of the result of the flood in Genesis 6 through, through chapter 7, we have God's creation being altered. We have, because of God's creation of free will and us messing it up, we have pain and suffering entering in that way. Because of the, the creation of free will and, and man messing it up on an even greater scale and that bringing, you know, the flooding of the world in Genesis chapter 6, we have God's creation being altered in this way and that bringing pain and suffering through that. We see that, and like I said, I'm not going to try to go down all the routes of what a flood would do, like a massive flood would do to that world, but it radically changed every surface of the world. It made the mountains taller, the valleys deeper, it separated all the plates, and that alone would change the weather patterns. And so when I was growing up, I had someone explain that to me in the sense that, okay, God did not intend for hurricanes to be ravaging each coastal seaboard. God did not intend for tornadoes to just be ripping through the United States every other day, it seems like. But because of this, but because of that, that has been brought on. And what we're going to get to later tonight is, but now that it's here, look how God works through it. God is still using his creation to accomplish his will. Nothing is messed up. Everything is still following right according to his will. We have brought the pain and suffering in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 6. But, and so we'll keep kind of getting into that a little more later as well. And that's a theme that we see throughout the entire Bible is it isn't God who is causing uh, the pain and suffering that happens to the Israelites. Although he is the one who opens up the earth and swallows them up, although he is the one who opens up the earth and allows the earth to be flooded, who were the ones that brought about that vengeance, that wrath, and that ultimate justice that God displayed? It was the individual people. We look at the story of the 12 spies. Did God punish all 12? No, to those who were faithful, to those who were obedient, to those who had a faith in God that he would deliver them, we find that they were able to walk into the promised land. But to those who did not believe, who had no faith and were not obedient, they were not able to go in. They spent the next 40 years in the wilderness. They were eaten up by the earth. The earth opened up and swallowed them up. You look at Genesis 6. Those individuals who were righteous, those individuals who were faithful to God, got to get on a boat. But everybody else who wasn't, didn't. So when you look at it, and you look at the originating factor behind why is there pain and suffering in the world, we have to understand that it comes from our decision we make on free will, like Jay was saying. When we make the decision to go away from God, there's going to inevitably be consequences for those decisions. We are the ones that distance ourselves from God, not the other way around. God has done everything He could and everything He can to bring us back to this perfect communion that was established in Genesis chapter 2. And just to bolster Jay's point, we see in Genesis 2 and verse 6 
that there was a mist that went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. It didn't rain before Genesis chapter 6. There wasn't even a rainy day for Adam and Eve. We look at this perfection, this paradise that they lived in. I know some of you may enjoy rainy days, but there wasn't even a rainy day for Adam and Eve. They had no problems. They were in complete, perfect communion and perfect union with God the Creator. But because of their choice, we see that all this was brought about. If you'll turn to Genesis 3, just look at what was brought about. God promises them and, and tells them that they're, listen, women, there's going to be pain at childbirth for you now. You're going to have to submit to your husband. He will rule over you now. He goes on and he says, there's going to be sorrow now. Men, you're going to have to work and there will be thorns and thistles now. You're going to be working by the sweat of your brow. And lastly, he says, death is going to become of you. You're going to have to return to the dust the same way that you were made from the dust. But until they made the decision to become like God and take the temptation that Satan threw at them and take of that fruit, they had perfect communion. And we have to, we have to constantly remember that. We have to constantly go to that when we are experiencing pain and suffering. Is this not God's fault? It's our fault because at the beginning of time, we brought this all about. We brought the illnesses. We brought the cancers to our society. We brought the racism to our society. We brought the hatred to our society. We brought the things that are bad for us. Not God. God did everything he could and still continues to do everything he can to keep us from those things. I think now is a great point for us to move forward to the, the second question we really want to pose tonight or the second uh, area of this study we want to focus on is why is there pain and suffering in my life? Now, we've been talking about why there's pain and suffering generically in the world. We, we've looked at the fall of man and, and, and so on. But why me? Have you, have you ever posed that question to God, why am I going through this? Have you ever felt like Job and you're sitting there wondering why all the bad things are happening to you? What have you done to cause that? Well, let's consider for a moment, why is there pain and suffering in my life? And I want to appeal to something right now that has already been referenced a little bit, and that is Satan. We have to remember that when you go back to the Garden of Eden, there was a creature present there that had some degree of influence on what Adam and Eve did. We call him the serpent. Revelation makes it clear that the serpent of Genesis chapter 1 is also known as the devil in the New Testament. And he exerted influence there that brought about some consequences in the life of Adam and Eve after they made their free will decision. But I want you to think about Satan a little bit. Think about some of the descriptions we have of him in Scripture. He is described as a crafty creature. He is identified in John chapter 8 and verse 44 as a liar and the father of lies. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 5, he's identified as a tempter. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, Paul said, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. In other words, Paul describes Satan as a cunning creature. He would also say in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14 that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. I don't intend to go down that rabbit hole to explain what that means. I just want you to understand that Satan is crafty. So crafty that Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11 that he has multiple schemes by which he tries to mess you up. Think about how powerful he is described in Scripture. He is called the prince of demons in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 24. The ruler of this world in John chapter 12 and verse 31. The God of this world, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. The prince of the power of the air, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2. You don't receive such titles of rulership unless you possess some degree of power. 
In fact, in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19, we're told that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We have to understand that Satan is crafty and Satan has some degree of power. And so when it comes to your life, he has the ability to make it difficult. You can go to the book of Job and get a good example of that. And so as we consider why there's pain and suffering in my life, it may just be because of something Satan is doing to try to mess you up. But that's certainly not the only reason. Guys, you want to chime in on another reason? Yeah, I think kind of building on that. Okay, so one reason we have pain and suffering in our life, it might be because of Satan. And that's, that's on him, obviously, okay? And then another reason we may have pain and suffering in our life is because other people in our lives have free will. We have it. God is not a respecter of persons. Because he's given it to me, he's given it to you, right? And just as I may abuse it and bring pain and suffering in your life, oh, I mean, I'm not trying to, but you may use it and bring pain and suffering in my life. I think about 2 Samuel chapter 11. Poor, poor Uriah loses his wife, loses his life. Why? Because God sent that on him? No, not at all. Because David was abusing his option of free will. And so sometimes we experience pain and suffering because of other people. People that we might know, which that hurts worse, or that are random strangers, or people we have no connection with at all, but because they're abusing their free will, or they're using it in a way, I should say, that is not according to the will of God, or they're ignorant of how they're using it, a slew of different reasons. That might also bring pain and suffering in our life. And then the third one I wanted to bring up was, one, it might be because of Satan. Two, it might be because of somebody else. And three, and we've got to be honest with this, and right, it might be because of us. I might bring pain and suffering in my own life. I think about when Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15, he says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. You know what that means? You know what he's saying there? When you do yoke yourself with that type of behavior, there are certain things that come from that. When you do participate in some of these things, you're gonna, you need to expect certain suffering, certain pains to go with that. It's like if, 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 if I went home right now, turned the oven on, forgot about it, then t- touched it, burned my hand, and called the, the you know, the, I don't know who makes ovens. What's, give me a company that makes ovens. Maytag? Is that a washer? GE. I called, a, I called GE and said, how dare you made this oven? I can't believe you put an oven in my house. And you let me burn it. And so I, and I think that's how we have to look at ourselves sometimes when we blame God because of something we're, something we're experiencing that we've done. Say, Lord, I cannot believe you've led me down this, lot, this, this path. I can't believe I'm sitting in this spot in my life right now with this much pain and suffering. That you didn't stop me. That you didn't correct me. Well, who's there? Why are we there? Not because of Satan. Not because of somebody else. A lot of times, it's because of us. Another option I like to add to that is when it comes to us today, you know, this question right here, we, we, I get this just as much as I get why in general is there pain and suffering. I get why is stuff happening to me. This question I get all the time about that, and I've asked all the time, why is this happening to me? And this question of why do bad things happen to good people? If we're, the, if we're God's people, if God's supposed to be taking care of us, then why do we experience bad things? Why do our family deal with certain illnesses and diseases? Why do we lose certain members of our family? Why does this happen to me? I'm, I'm your follower, God. I'm doing everything I can do. We have to understand that every single one of us has been born into this fallen world. So you, you, you mentioned all the other options. The next option I like to add to it is we're still dealing with the consequences of what Adam and Eve did. Why is there pain and suffering in my life? Because we are still battling and dealing with the consequences of their decision. Now stop right there. Let's go get some pitchforks and some uh, lanterns and go after Adam and Eve, right? Why would you do this to me? How dare you? Why would you eat that apple or fruit or whatever it was? Why would you do that? Because I'm still living with your consequences. You know, some would even say that we live with their sin. 
that their sin is on us. We know that's not true because Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20, it says, The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteous of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So we know we don't inherit their sin, but guess what we do inherit? Their consequences. This same fallen world that Adam and Eve decided to choose, we are still in it. And like I said earlier, God is doing everything He can to bring us back to the world He intended. But until that time, we have to deal with their consequences. And I think we need to talk about and have a conversation about just how great the consequences of sins are. You know, I think that's something we don't understand. I don't think any of us today have a full grasp on what the barrier is created when we sin. None of us can fully grasp and fully understand this divide that we place before ourselves and God when we sin. Because none of us can understand giving up our only begotten Son that we have created the universe with, that we have lived infinitely with, eternally with, and giving Him up to fix this barrier, to bridge the gap. None of us can understand the pain that God the Father went through to bring us back. Sin has such immense consequences that we don't understand. We can't attain this knowledge to understand exactly what sin does to us. None of us can totally know the divide that is caused by sin. I'm just grateful that God knew exactly what it would take to bring me back, to bring all of us back. Because I think, why is there pain and suffering in my life? All the, all the reasons Jay just mentioned, but also because we are living in a world that has fallen. And God has given us a chance to live in a world that has not fallen. It's up to us to get on that bridge that we're talking about. And it's up to us to choose to allow what God has given us or not. So why is there pain and suffering in my life? Absolutely, all the things that have been mentioned, but also because this world is terrible. You know, we sing the song, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. We sing it for a reason. This world, if this world is your home, if you love it here, then... Obviously nothing that bad has happened to you, or you're blind, or you haven't seen what's going on around you. You haven't realized all the pain and all the suffering that is going on. This world is not my home, and I'm so glad that we're just passing through. I got more to say. I'll stop. Yeah, I think um, what Ben pointed out is the, uh, one of the reasons that we have sufferings. When we think about sufferings in our lives, I think we have uh, categorized in two ways. One, suffering from the natural human condition uh, introduced by sin. The other one is Christian suffering. Christian suffering must be different. Christian suffering is not necessarily the same with the suffering that most of the human beings naturally have in their lives. So Christian suffering, in my view, there are, uh, according to the Bible, uh, there are many uh, cases. For example, <clears throat> Christians want to obey to righteousness, to righteousness. Christians wants to follow Jesus' steps, and it is not easy. That gives us a lot of suffering. It gives us a lot of pain. You know, uh, what if our government is, is unjust, but we still have to obey according to the scripture, Romans chapter 13? What if your boss is unjust and gives you a lot of pain and suffering, but we have to still obey him according to the scripture? And also, we Christians cannot take any simple way to resolve the problems like worldly people do. 
So that gives us additional suffering and pain. Rather, we have to sacrifice ourselves for wicked people, even for wicked people. That gives us you know, uh, emotional and psychological pain and actual bodily pain too. You know, uh, Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 says, rather be frauded. First Corinthians chapter 6 verse, I mean, First uh, Corinthians chapter 6 verse 7 says, rather be defrauded, rather suffer wrong. And Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 says, do not grow weary while you do good. So that's Christian life. And the other thing uh, Christian life gives us, uh, uh, gives us uh, suffering and pain is the persecution of the wicked. The wicked people persecute the righteous people. You have to remember that. You don't, you don't expect that there, would not, that there will not be any problem with people because the people from the world are wicked and they, they are seeking for the chances to give you pain and suffering. You know, we know a lot of uh, things, but we know definitely about Jesus. Jesus was suffered by the wicked people. He was killed. And what about Paul, Apostle Paul? What about other first century Christians? And the other one that Christians uh, has to suffer, uh, have to suffer is the we have to partake the Christ's suffering. That is, our, that is our obligation. That is our glory. As we partake the Christ's suffering, we will also partake in his glory. That's why I willingly partake in his suffering. And also, one other thing, the one last thing, I believe, I mean, in my view, why Christians have to suffer? God uses suffering. Amen. God uses suffering. First, to refine his children and his servants, especially. How Jesus was perfected. According to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, he was perfected through suffering. God uses suffering even to his son, to perfect his son. And so it's more with us. It's more true with us. And First Peter chapter 1, verse 7, God perfects us through, perfects our faith through suffering. And Job chapter 23, verse 10 says that God knows my way, and through this suffering, after this suffering, uh, I will become like God, something like that. I'm paraphrasing. And also, what is very, very interesting and also very important is that God uses suffering for his children to go away from sin. Without suffering, we cannot avoid sin. Without suffering, we cannot fight against sin. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says that you have not yet fought against sin, even bleeding. Jesus fought against sin, bleeding. I mean, he, killed, he was killed to fight against sin, but we didn't reach that point yet. So when we fight against sin, we suffer a lot, and also we get pain a lot. And also God uses suffering to prove us, to test us. God sends illusion in this world so that he distinguishes from the true child, uh, I mean, uh, his true child from fake ch children. So Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 11 says, it is like saying God sends the delusion intentionally. And as we deluded by Satan, we will make, a wrong, deci we will make wrong decisions, and as the consequences of the wrong decisions, we will suffer and pain a lot. 
And also, God gives us, I mean, God uses suffering to give us hope, to lead us to the hope in Him. Without suffering, we will not think about Him so deeply, so seriously. But because we suffer and because we have pain, we put our whole hope in Him. And suffering benefits us in that regard, really. So we need suffering. We need pain for us to focus on the hope in God. And God uses suffering like that. And also, finally, I believe, I mean, in my view, God uses suffering to humble us. He used suffering even to humble Apostle Paul. He left the thorn of flesh to humble him. And God used the uh, wilderness for 40 years to humble the Israelites, to test if they really obey his word. So God uses the suffering and pain to humble us. So these are the, uh, I mean, I think it is important. I mean, this is uh, very important. As we think about the suffering and pain in our lives, we should not blindly say that, you know, everybody suffers. Everybody suffers. Why me? Why me? I mean, I'm not saying that you are doing so, but, uh, but we have to be wise enough to discriminate the sufferings from natural human condition and sufferings from the world and also sufferings that we as Christians have to have. And as we perceive that scheme of God, then we can glorify God even in suffering. We can rejoice even in suffering and pain. I think a phrase that Mingu used over and over again that is important to make note of is God used. Sometimes it's easy for us to transition into that God-caused mentality, or, or, but the, ultimately what Scripture declares is that, that God allows suffering to happen because He can produce good results from it. I think about James chapter 1 uh, in verses 2, two uh, through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God can utilize the negative experience of suffering for a good purpose. And, and, and so I think that's the, the, the gist of what Mingu was trying to communicate to us, whether it be to humble us or to refine us or, or to uh, prove that we are genuine children of His. God can use suffering for good purposes. And, and that is... a a difficult um, truth to absorb at times, but it is there in Scripture that God uses suffering and allows suffering for beneficial purposes. Yeah, I think that's a good point, and, and, that, and that brings up something I wanted to touch on at some point, and I didn't know when, but wrapping up, not this whole section, but what we've been saying, there's a lot of reasons why there's pain and suffering in our lives, and there's a lot of ways God can use that pain and suffering in our life. But I think one thing that, that we have to remember is there's pain and suffering in, in my life because there's pain and suffering in, in Ben's life. There's pain and suffering in, in the person, you know, we're going to see tonight when we stop and get food, or there's pain and suffering in, in everybody's life. Just because I, I've donned Christ on in baptism, just because I'm sitting here on a Sunday night, doesn't mean, okay, now that I'm here, pain and suffering, God has removed that from me because I'm one of God's now. He's, he's going to lead me down a path that just absolutely removes it all away. We have pain and suffering in our life because we're living in a world that's broken. We're living in a world where Satan is exercising his free will. All the reasons we've been going through, but something to also remember in that is we shouldn't expect that it's not coming. We shouldn't be surprised that there is in it, that we, that, that we have that in our lives. And it's still hard. And knowing this, I think we've all caught ourselves, we've all been at this kind of rock bottom where you understand why there's pain and suffering, you understand why it's 
in your life, but you still just drop to your knees and say, God, why, why me? Why, why now? Why more? I'm already broken. And so I think that's going to lead us into this next discussion of, okay, now that we know that it's in our life, how are we going to use that? But God is not a respecter of persons. He's not partial to me any more than he's partial to you. He loves us all exactly the same. He's, he's not going to take anything out of my life less than he's going to take out of your life. And I think that's something we have to remember is for God to intervene in my life and say, you know what, Jay, now that you're a Christian and now you're doing this, I'm going to take all the pain and suffering out of your, li- out of your life. Well, how is that fair for if, if he did that to me, if he didn't do it to Ben, if he didn't do it to Kyle, didn't get, do it to Mingu, didn't do it to all our brothers in India, if he were to do that, I mean, that would just completely upset how the, the laws of our world right now. Is that, is that making sense? I think we've got to recognize that this is going to happen. And so a verse that obviously comes to mind here is Romans chapter 8, um, verses 27 through 28. Yeah, he said, He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Many preachers will get in a pulpit, and we've, we've all, we've, I think we've all belabored on this topic. Many people will get in the pulpit and preach, and many people will share this verse and think it is trying to say, okay, when you become a Christian, all things will work good. You, can only, you only have to expect good things to happen in your life because you're walking down the right way, you're walking down the right path, and God is going to help and save and take all those bad things out. That's just not it. What it does say is, because of the blessings that we are living in, because of the God we are connected with, He can work all of these things to good. The pain in your life, the suffering in my life. Sometimes you just got to sit back and say, wow, I can't imagine how, how much good God can do from this. As low as I am right now, I wonder how, how far God is going to reach down to pull me back up. And so I, I think that's something that maybe kind of leads us into our next discussion, yeah. unless we have any other thoughts from this of what we do with it now that we have it. Yeah, so the, the final thing we want to consider tonight is, is how should we handle pain and suffering? How should we deal with pain and suffering when it enters our life? Uh, ben, you want to get us started on this? Yeah, I, I think I have three uh, points I'd like to talk about on how we should handle pain and suffering, how we should deal with this, and how we should uh, get through this in this life? How should we get through pain and suffering? And the first one Mingu was, was talking about is we got to understand that we need to allow God to be glorified through our suffering. We need to allow our suffering to point us to God, not, not anywhere elsewhere. And so turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 8 says, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Tonight I want to talk about godly sorrow. When we experience sorrow, when we experience guilt, when we experience pain, when we experience suffering, when we experience some of the things we're talking about, we can either allow it to lead us one of two ways. The first way we can allow it to lead us is towards death. Look at verse 10. It says, But the sorrow of the world produces death. That's the first way we can look at sorrow. We can look at pain. We can allow it to consume us. We can allow it to let us be driven away from God. Or we can allow it to drive us closer to God. And when that happens, it produces repentance it produces salvation it produces a close relationship with God so number one 
how do we handle pain and suffering? We need to allow it to drive us closer to God instead of closer to the world. And those are the only two options, by the way. Number two, I think we have to realize that we're not alone. Like Jay was saying, I experience pain and suffering. He experiences pain and suffering. We all experience pain and suffering because of the world that we have inherited. We'll go to Hebrews chapter 11. You know, a lot of prosperity gospel preachers, like Jay was mentioning, will tell you, become a Christian, and listen, let me tell you what, become a follower of God, and you'll just be rich, you'll have private airplanes, you'll never experience pain again. Hebrews 11 tells me differently when it says in verse 36, when it lists all these people of faith, when it lists all the people of all time throughout the Bible, in Hebrews 11 verse 36, still others had trials of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God had to provide something better for us that we should not be made perfect apart from us. Listen, when you are experiencing pain and suffering, you're not alone. You are joining a list of faithful followers from Abraham to Moses to Jesus Christ, the Son of God Himself, Jesus experienced pain and suffering. That's number two. Understand that you are not alone. And number three, and lastly, I want everyone to understand and realize that God's original intent is going to be restored one day. God's original intent is going to be accomplished again. And all of this that we read about and we talk about and we study about all the time was God's explanation of how He was going to reconcile us back to perfect communion. Turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. We've come full circle, haven't we? The tree of life of the Garden of Eden was taken away and they no longer could live forever. They no longer could eat of that tree. But one day, to those who overcome this pain and suffering we're talking about tonight. To those who overcome, He will give to them this tree of life once again in the midst of the paradise of God. Number one, allow your pain and suffering to drive you closer to God. Number two, you are not alone. And number three, we're on our way home. The way I kind of see it kind of going with that, Ben, is uh, there's three ways that we, when we handle our pain and suffering, there's three things that we need to do. I think go hand in hand with what you're saying. One, we have got to reach in, and we've got to recognize the pain and suffering in our life. I remember the first car I had had a lot of uh, engine lights on the dashboard, and my mom, it was a hand-me-down. My mom said, oh, don't worry about those. So okay. And so I just ignored the, the engine light here and ignored the oil light there, and uh, I got stranded a couple times because of that good old car. I got stranded, the, the gas needle didn't work, so I didn't, so I didn't look at it, and guess what? I ran out of gas a couple times. Because I just was told and, you know, I was like, okay, ignore that. And in my own life, if I treat the own, my own warning signs and the, own, the, the other results, the consequences that keep popping up, and if I just keep uh, denying those, ignoring those, and guess what? Those problems are just going to keep popping up. I think the first thing, how I handle pain and suffering in my life is I'm real with myself and say, Jay, this is what's going on. This is what's happened, and this is how it's affecting you. Sometimes it's because of me. Sometimes it's something I don't want to recognize that someone else has done. Sometimes it's just a fact of life that it's so hard to handle, I don't want to express those emotions. It's so difficult. The suffering is so much that I'd, I would just go to compartmentalize and say, I'm not ready for that. 
But guess what? Those consequences just keep popping up. Just keep popping up. And so I think the first thing we've got to do if we're going to handle this pain and suffering in our life, and there's a lot of counseling that goes into with that sometimes, is you've got to recognize there's pain and suffering in your life. The next one, we've reached in, we've got to look inward, but then we've got to look upward. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses, uh, um, you almost do the whole first part of the chapter. Let's just do 3 and 4. Let's just start with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and listen to this, and the God of all comfort. That's the God I want to go to. If his, if his description, if a term that goes hand in hand with who He is, is the God of comfort, then why would I not go to Him? Why would I, look to some, why would I try to compartmentalize or look somewhere else? If I have the God of, of comfort... He's not the God of overlooking. He's not the God of saying, grow up. He's not the God of saying, deal with it. I think about how he dealt with Elijah. Elijah was saying, God, I'm ready to give up on life. And what did he do? He says, Elijah, I need you to rest. Elijah, here's some food. Let me take care of you real quick. That's the God of comfort. I've got to reach in. I've got to be real with myself. But also, the very next step has got to be, I've got to go to the God of all comfort because that's where I'm going to find what I need. And look what happens because of that in verse 4. Who comforts us in all of our afflictions... Why? So that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I reach in, I reach up, and then I reach out. I've gone to the God of comfort, and now I'm going to go to my brothers and sisters. There are other people, maybe here tonight, suffering the same pain and sufferings that you've got. There's other people that are watching online, suffering the same pain and sufferings that you've got. That's why God gave us this. That's why God organized what we're doing right now, that, we ha- that there is a body that can share the weight. A comment that I think, I think was made by you, John. Uh, yesterday, uh, an elders meeting was saying, let us help you with that. Our shoulders are broad. That's what I want to hear from my brothers. Amen. Let me help you with that. I've got broad shoulders. I can help bear that weight with you. I go to God first, but I don't, I'm not going to neglect what my brothers and sisters can do for me, too. And sometimes, when we do neglect that third step, all we're doing is neglecting further comfort from somebody else. If I've got pain and suffering in my life, and I'm refusing to go to Ben about it because I, I just want to deal with it on myself, I'm just, but I know Ben could help me, well, then I'm robbing myself of my own benefits, but I'm robbing Ben from exercising the comfort of God. Why, do we, why would we not go to people who can help us while also providing them an opportunity to serve God by helping me? So I think that's a few things I've got to recognize in my life. Reach, reach in, reach up, and reach out. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, I looked up the uh, book of 1 Peter, which is uh, usually called the book, of, book about suffering. And I found these things that uh, Paul recommends to those, I mean, the Christians to do in suffering. First, rejoice. Uh, chapter 1, verse 6. Second, set your whole hope in God. Chapter 1, verse 13. Be obedient and conduct yourselves in righteousness. Chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. Love the pure milk of the word. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. Don't revenge, but bless. Chapter 2, verse 23. Regard Christ as holy in your heart and demonstrate the hope in him. Chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Love and encourage one another. Chapter 4, verse 89. This is the point I think uh, Jay uh, made very well. We need to love one another for us to overcome each other's sufferings and pain. That's why we are here, even tonight. Interest your soul to the Lord, chapter 4, verse 19. Humble yourselves and cast all concerns to God in trust, chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. Have fellowship with those brothers because they are also suffering, chapter 5, verse 9. And most importantly, I think, he said, Apostle Peter said in chapter 3, verse 21, be baptized. Baptism saves you. If you are not baptized yet, but thinks that you are suffering, or you have pain in your life, 
trust God's word and be baptized. And he will get into your life. And he will give you the way get, get out to get out and the, the way that you can glorify him in your life. And especially by your suffering. Let me wrap us up tonight with this. When we look at pain and suffering, we can't wait for it to be eradicated. And as you deal with it, with the the great measures that have been mentioned thus far, one thing that I think is very important is to remember that God gets the last move. When a giant threatened Israel, who got the last move? When a, 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 a foreign king was convinced that he should commit genocide against the Jews, who got the last move? When sin threatened to condemn all of us, who got the last move? When it comes to anything evil, God always gets the last move. And God's last move is described in Revelation. He's going to be throwing the devil into the lake of fire. And if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in his last move, he's going to be judging anyone who's an advocate or per- perpetuator of evil. Because everyone will have to stand before him in judgment. God gets the last move. And since evil will be eradicated by God when he gets his final move, it may cause us to wonder why he hasn't dealt with it le- yet. But we need to remember 2 Peter chapter 3. Where after saying in verse 7 that, that the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. After saying that, Peter then says, But do not overlook this one fact, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The reason God hasn't made his last move yet is because there is still someone he wants to save. So tonight, as we're here to study this subject and to dive into this issue of suffering, we may not have all the answers, but we provide the ones that we're aware of in Scripture. We do know this, though, that the number one answer for your life is to turn it over to God. Just as, Minku say, just as Minku mentioned, by committing your life to him through baptism. If you're really struggling with this subject, with the existence of pain and suffering, we hope you'll find your answers here in God's Word. And if you need assistance with that, we want to offer ours, whether it be one of us ministers or one of the shepherds of this congregation. Please reach out to us because we'd love to help you deal with this particular question. We're grateful that you've chosen to study with us tonight, and it is our prayer that the study has been beneficial for you. And at this time, we're going to close out our our study with a word of prayer led by Brother Mingu. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this beautiful day. Thank you for the worship that we had, the Bible classes that we had. Uh, Please help us to get the best uh, from those things that we had. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity again for us to gather together to, to study your word and to share our ideas and thoughts and understandings of your word um, according to your will. Please be remindful of those who are suffering and who are having pain in their lives. And please help us to be remindful of them too, that we can do whatever we have to do for them uh, to do. And please be reminded of those who are suffering, especially at this time, because of the wicked world, the injustice of the world, and the uh, malbehavior of worldly people, and, and very unrighteous, unrighteous uh, thoughts and words and actions of the worldly people. Please help us, your church at Buford, here, the Buford Church of Christ, be different from the world in that regard. Not by anything else, but by only love. Because we love one another, 
we have to be different. And please help us to love one another and help those brothers and sisters who are in suffering and pain. Help them and love them that they can go through those difficult times easily. Thank you, Father, for this congregation and the leadership of this congregation who allows this great thing happen in our community. And we are being the beacon of this community, and we want to continue being so. So please help us to be so. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who is our perfect example and who is our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.